Thank you, choir, orchestra, Kyle, Natalie. I think if I had my choice today, I would just happen to sing it all again, but no, I'm paid to preach, so we're going to do it today. Today we continue our series from the Sermon on the Mount as we come to the fourth beatitude. And I think probably by now you see the progression of the beatitudes, how each one of them builds upon the last one. It began as we recognize our sinful condition that I am that I am in poverty spiritually. As a result of that, I mourn over my condition. Then I am humbled before the Lord, and then today the Lord satisfies my hunger and thirst. So the Beatitudes then are progressive, and we see the progression of them. So take your Bibles. We'll look again, Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse number 1. And when he saw the multitudes, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And opening his mouth, he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. And appetite is important because it speaks of one's condition. I went to Dr. Reinhardt, and as he was examining me, he said, how's your appetite? I said, are you teasing me? I mean, if he can't tell that, then I'm not sure he's going to do a good job in other areas. (laughs) I believe that man is a trichotomy. He is body, spirit, and mind. Therefore, I think it is important for total health that one has a good appetite in all three areas. Truth is, most of us have a good appetite in the physical arena. I read that on Super Bowl Sunday, that is the second largest food consumption day of the year. I don't know how they come up with this. I don't know where they get their numbers. I don't know who does it. I don't even know if it's true, but it fits in here, so I'm going to assume that it is. But they said on Super Bowl Sunday, we eat four million pounds of popcorn, nine million pounds of tortilla chips, 12 million pounds of potato chips, and 13 million pounds of guacamole dip. Now that's just at my house. (laughs) So we do pretty good when it comes to a physical appetite. Most of us have a fairly good physical appetite. But it is also important that we have an intellectual appetite. And unfortunately, most of us satisfy our intellectual appetite at the junk food vending machine of Twitter and Facebook. Sometimes Linda will tell me that she has read something and I'll ask the question, where did you read it? And if she says Facebook, then I said, it might be fake news. Mark Twain wrote, the trouble with the world is not that people know too little, 
but that they know so many things that ain't so. If you are satisfying your intellectual appetite with Facebook and Twitter, you probably know a lot of things that ain't so. So we are to have a good physical appetite, we're to have an intellectual appetite, but let me ask you, how is your spiritual appetite? You see, folks, you are not totally healthy only with an intellectual appetite and a physical appetite because you also are spiritual. So how is your spiritual appetite? You see, David said in Psalm 42, 1 and 2, as the deer pants or longs for the water, so my soul pants for thee, O God, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. David had a spiritual appetite. He says, oh, God, I want to draw near to you. God, I want to know you better. My heart longs for the Lord. Is that true with you? Do you have a spiritual appetite that longs for the Lord, that pants after God? Isaiah recommended it to the people of Israel when he says, Oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. How's your spiritual appetite? Do you have a hunger for the things of God? Do you have a thirst for the things of God? Mother Teresa said, people in India are physically hungry. People in America are spiritually hungry. That makes people in India better off because Americans don't realize why they are starving. Folks, so many of our problems in our land today is simply because of a lack of spiritual appetite. So many of the issues that you are dealing with in your own life is simply the result of a lack of a spiritual appetite. You see, your appetite is important because it is an indication of health. The lack of an appetite is an indication of sickness, physically. One of the things I enjoy when we go to Israel is Middle East food. I love Middle East food all the vegetables, all the foods that they had. But this last year when we were there, I, I didn't eat much because I had no appetite. I was sick. I had what everyone else has had. And so I just didn't have a physical appetite. So sickness can cause us to lose our appetite. Something else that causes us to lose our appetite is depression. You know the story in the Old Testament about Ahab, the king, who wanted Naboth's vineyard. And Naboth wouldn't sell him his inheritance, wouldn't sell him his vineyard. So the Bible says in 1 Kings 21, 4, So Ahab came into his house sullen and vexed because of the word which Naboth, the Jezreelite, had spoken to him. For he said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. Now, listen to what Ahab did. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and ate no food. Sometimes we have no appetite because of sickness. Sometimes we have no appetite because of depression. But let me ask you, if you have no spiritual appetite, why? If you have 
no appetite for the things of God. Why? Well, one reason could be that you're spiritually dead and the corpse has no appetite. You don't see McDonald's springing up in cemeteries because nobody there eats. They have no appetite. Folks, if you have no appetite for the things of God, for prayer, for Bible study, for worship, and I were you, I would be concerned if I had any spiritual life. One of the reasons we have no spiritual appetite is because we are spiritually dead. We may be Baptists, we may be Methodists, we may be Presbyterians, Episcopalians, or something else. But if we have no appetite for the things of God, it could be an indication of a lack of spiritual life. Now having said that, there are some who are saved, they, they are Christians, but they have lost their spiritual appetite because they are backslidden. Why is that? Because we become immersed in the world. 2 Timothy 4.10, Paul wrote, Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me. If you're a child of God, you cannot hold hands with the world and with God. And when we think we can and we become immersed in the world, then we lose our appetite for the things of God. Or it could be that you are simply satisfied with yourself. I'm all right. I look around. I see I'm better than some of these other people who are seated next to me, or at least I'm just as good as they are. And I'm satisfied with myself, which is exactly what happened to the church in Laodicea. And so Jesus said in Revelation 3.17 to the church in Laodicea, because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. If you have no spiritual appetite, no appetite for the things of God, for the Word of God, for prayer, for worship, I would say one of two things. You're either spiritually dead or you're spiritually backslidden. An appetite is an indication of our condition. And that is the reason doctors ask us about our appetite. And that is the reason Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Okay, what is it that we hunger and thirst for? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, you and I probably do not have an adequate understanding concerning the depth of this hunger and thirst. Barclay wrote, a working man in Palestine ate meat only once a week. And in Palestine, the working man and day laborer were never far from the borderline of real hunger and actual starvation. So when Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger, understand this is someone who was on the verge of starvation. This was someone who was barely 
taking enough food to live. That was the depth of the hunger. And the thirst is just as intense as the hunger. I read the story about a man who was crawling across the desert, about to starve to death. He's crawling along, and after a while, there's a man on a camel who comes up by him. And the man looked up at him and he said, Do you have any water? He said, no, but I can sell you a tie. He said, sell me a tie. What would I do with a tie? Why would I want a tie? I don't want a tie. And the man on the camel said, okay, and he rode off. The man continued to crawl across the desert, and after a while he saw an oasis. He crawled to the oasis, and then he saw a canteen, and he crawled to the canteen. There's a man standing outside, and the man, can I have some water? He said, you can't come in without a tie. <laughs> what is the object of your hunger and thirst? What you really desire? We all have a hunger and thirst for something. What is yours? What is the object of your hunger and thirst? I, I would say probably for most of us it's happiness. I want to be happy. And so we think that if, if I can just get this amount of money, then I'm going to be happy. And so we really strive for money. If I can get recognition or acceptance from someone, then I'm going to be happy and we try for that. If I can get a date with this person or that person, or if I can marry this person or that person, then I'm going to be happy. Right? Would you agree with me that most people have a hunger and thirst for happiness? That's what we want. But as I read this passage of Scripture, Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The Greek language gives some interesting insight into what that means. Barclay wrote, it is a rule of Greek grammar that verbs of hunger and thirsting are followed by the genitive case. Okay, so what does that mean? Well, that means to hunger and thirst for part of something. I, I want a portion of something. I want a piece of pie. I want a glass of water. But in that form, it is speaking about a part of something. Barclay continues, but in this beatitude, most unusually, righteousness is in the direct accusative and not in the normal genitive. So what does that mean? It means a hunger and thirst for the whole thing. Not a part of it, the whole thing. I don't want a piece of pie. I want the pie. I don't want a glass of water. I want the pitcher. I want it all. It is a hunger for it all. In other, in other words, this hunger and this thirst of which he speaks is not a hunger that can be satisfied at some French restaurant. You have to go to Golden Corral for this one. I mean, it is a real hunger and thirst. But for what? 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. God, I don't want just a part of it. I want it all. For righteousness. Lord, I want to be righteous. The hunger in my heart, the thirst in my heart is righteousness. I want to be righteous. So what does he say? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be satisfied. Mick Jagger saying, I can't get no satisfaction. And that's true with the world. But Jesus' promise is that of satisfaction. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. It's, it's interesting whenever you consider what he is saying here, because when we come to Christ, there is immediate satisfaction. So the satisfaction of which, which he speaks, first of all, is immediate. When I come to Jesus, there is immediate satisfaction because I have been forgiven of my sins. That's what happened to the Apostle Paul when he was Saul on the road to Damascus and he was going there to round up Christians and persecute them and there he met the Lord. This man who was feared by the church, the people of God because of the persecution, the authority that he had, but he met Jesus and that man was immediately forgiven. Even though he had persecuted the church, he was immediately forgiven. You know that's what the Lord promises you? When we come to Jesus, immediately we are forgiven of our sins, whatever they are. And that's what the Bible says, that, that he removes our sins as far as the east is from the west, never to remember them again. I've said this before and I've always found it to be interesting that I think that it was on purpose that he said east from west because if he had said north from south, you, you start going north and then you get up there and you start going south. You go north and then you go south. But he said he removes it as far as the east is from the west. If you start east, you're always going east. That's the promise that the Lord has given us. When we come to him, we immediately receive forgiveness we immediately receive peace John chapter 14 verse number 27 Jesus said peace I leave with you my peace I give to you not as the world gives do I give to you let not your heart be troubled nor let it be fearful that is the promise of the Lord that when we come to him we immediately receive forgiveness we immediately receive his peace there was a famous actress who said, I obtained everything I wanted. Wealth, fame, accomplishment in my career. Yet I was totally miserable and unhappy. I found it frightening that one could acquire all these things and still be so miserable. Maybe you're not a famous actress, but you'd say that applies to me. I have all of these things, I've pursued these things, but boy, they have not satisfied or brought peace to me. You see, that's what God does. If you want peace in your life, it comes from God. When we come to Him, immediately we receive hope. Romans chapter 15, verse 13, Now may the God of hope 
fill you with all joy and peace and believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, the hope that we have comes from God. And when we come to Christ, we receive forgiveness, we receive peace, and we receive hope that comes from God. That happens immediately. So satisfaction then is immediate. When I come to Christ, I receive satisfaction. But understand that satisfaction of which he speaks is also progressive. Be satisfied is an agriculture word. Some of you grew up on the farm, as did I, and you know that you know the term fattening out an animal. You take a calf, you take a pig, whatever it is, and you feed it, and every day it eats and it grows a little bit at a time. You're fattening out the animal. That's what the word means. It is an agricultural term that refers to progression. We are satisfied progressively, all right? So when we come to Christ then, we are satisfied immediately, but we also are satisfied progressively. That's true in marriage. When, when I married Linda, I thought, you know, I'm going to have a lot of work to do. in order to improve her and to bring her up to her full capability. <laughs> but you know now I'm totally satisfied with her. I mean, I really am. I am totally satisfied. She is absolutely perfect for me. Now that happened progressively. We got married, that happened progressively. Satisfaction. Same thing's true in ministry. When I came here as pastor, I thought these, after I'd been here for a while, I thought these are strange people. <laughs> because I didn't grow up in this culture. I grew up out west in West Texas, and so the culture was different. And I thought these are really strange people. And, 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 and you are. <laughs> but as the years have gone by, I can't imagine being anywhere else. I mean, I absolutely adore you. And people ask me all the time, now when you retire, are you going to go back to Texas? No, I'm not going back to Texas. Texas will always be my home in a sense, but this is home. This is where I'll die. So what I'm saying is that satisfaction comes immediately. There are some things we receive immediately, and it is also progressive. There are some things that come to us progressively. But satisfaction of which he speaks is also eternal. I don't know all that heaven holds, but I know you're going to be satisfied with it. I was coming to work this week, and Linda called me on the way in. She said, I just heard on the news that Billy Graham had died. And I said, praise the Lord. You see, about two weeks before, I, had, I was talking with Franklin, and I said, Franklin, your dad is, I asked how his dad was and so forth, and I said, you know, that, that's one of the areas I just don't understand. Your dad was one of the most influential men in the world, and now he's confined to a bed. I said, I, I know that he wants to go to be with the Lord, that he wants to see Ruth, that he wants to go to heaven. He said, Daddy's ready. And so when Linda called and told me that he had 
he had gone to be with the Lord, I, my reaction was, praise the Lord. I'm so glad. In Revelation 21.4, John wrote, And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall no longer be any death. There shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. So the Bible says that in heaven there are no tears, there's no pain, there's no death. It's all passed away. So when we come to the Lord, then we are, we are satisfied, and that satisfaction is eternal. But here's the thing that's interesting. When we come to Christ, we are satisfied, but the paradox is we are always dissatisfied. You're satisfied, but you're never satisfied. Let me illustrate it. I love coconut pie. I'm sorry, Doc. That's how I maintain this physique. <laughs> but you know, you can eat a piece of coconut pie and you're totally satisfied, right? And two hours later, you want another piece. <laughs> See, that, that is the way it is with this satisfaction. You're satisfied, but you're never satisfied. For instance, you take, take Moses in the, as an example. You think about all the experiences that Moses had. I mean, his staff turned into a snake. He parted the Red Sea. He received the Ten Commandments. There was manna, all those things that Moses experienced. And as I read about the experiences of Moses, I would think, Moses, you could never ask for anything more. I mean, you had everything. You could never ask for anything more. But he did. He said, God, I want to see your glory. God, thank you for all that you've done. But I want to see your glory. Show me your glory. The Apostle Paul, he was on the way to Damascus when he met the Lord. He was caught up in a vision to the third heaven. You can read about the Apostle Paul and, and think, Paul could never ask for anything else. I mean, he has to be totally satisfied. But he did. In Philippians 3.10, he said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. You see, satisfied but never satisfied. Always wanting more. Augustine wrote, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Let me ask you, what satisfies you? What brings satisfaction to you? Maybe you're satisfied with yourself, I don't know. The Puritan said, he has the most need of righteousness, who least wants it. Satisfaction is only found in the Lord. Real satisfaction is only in God. It is not in the things of the world. Natalie, you sang that earlier. Not the healing, but the healer. Not the gift, but the giver. We only find satisfaction in Him. Folks, I know. Some of you are looking in all, all the wrong places for satisfaction. You'll only find it in God. 
only in him. Let me conclude. Christ offers us satisfaction. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be satisfied. The supply begins with your desire. And when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be satisfied. The supply continues with your desire. As long as you hunger and thirst for righteousness, God will provide it. The supply is proportional to your desire. You have what you want. And the supply, supply is the same nature as your desire. You have what you want. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they and they alone shall be satisfied. Our Father in God, I come to you at this time lifting up these who listen and consider. And I ask, Father, that the Holy Spirit will do only that that He can do. And that is to help us see ourselves as you see us. Lord, I know that there are so many here who are dissatisfied with life and they're trying to satisfy themselves in the wrong place. May they come to you today. May they find true and eternal satisfaction. I pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Just a moment, we're going to stand and sing a hymn of invitation. If you've never trusted Christ today, come. You'll receive immediate forgiveness and peace. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open. Stand with me, please. The choir sings. You come. I'll greet you as you do.
be seated. 